You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. We are the decay. We are the decay. This network is supported by our listeners. You can become a supporting member by going to arcpodnet.com slash members and signing up. As a supporting member, you have access to high-quality downloads of each show and a discount at our future online store and access to show hosts on a members-only Slack team. For professional members, we'll have training shows and other special content offered throughout the year. Once again, go to arcpodnet.com slash members to support the network and get some great extras and swag in the process. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. Greetings, stranger. Welcome to Hades the underworld. Welcome to decay. Welcome to forever. It is here where your remains and possessions are nil and void to the world. Gone is your individuality, your conscience. All that remains is an imprint of your actions, writ grave goods. The last thoughts you ever had are now your only ones. Welcome to death. For when we are buried in a box, the temporal constraints assert our function. Integral to understanding the past is to understand our place within it and how we become history. Not by our own designs, but by the choices and monuments of those around us. Our secrets mark us. No matter how we attempt to conceal the secrets we have during our life, many of our deeds are etched into our bodies. Our secret smoke, our secret love, our secret harm, fast and famine, all written into our bodies and our bones. Alive, we fight away the revealing light, the relentless entropy of the universe, the constant decay. Alive, we fight the light of truth, for we are born not of secrets, but of control. We fear and envy the dead, fearful of their silent acceptance of the void and envious of their apparent peace with themselves. It is the expanse of cosmic magnitude between life and death that animates curiosity, that loss is perceived as an ultimate. Perhaps then, why would anyone wish to die? Is it perhaps to seal one's fate, futile though that may be, or is there a nestling glee within despair? that glimpses of an apparent freedom of the dead is the only meaningful motion one can make. Death represents the undoing of all life, all energies built up, unfurled and returned. 
This return is inverted in belief systems, forming the physical reality as an intermediate step through which one navigates. And although it would be difficult to rationalize in full this idea of reality, perhaps we can use some ideology as a lens through which to consider the past. The past is full of decay. In fact, decay is considered an authentic aspect of heritage. The older the site, the more the decay. The engines of destruction conjure up an unrelenting monster. A crawling cosmic horror, disinterested to the meager accomplishments of humans. And it's not that universal horror that of insignificance. No, you see, Cthulhu is no mere monster. The cosmic horror is indeed our own inability to create legacy in a meaningful way. Time merely slips from our fingers. It is neither some arbitrary ashes nor sand. The sand of time instead are the decaying items which we value. Their loss and imperative of the universe. Decay. Think of the joy of maintenance or of preservation, the fountain of youth, the desire for the good old days. Is it difficult? Is it too difficult to imagine the human obsession with the past as a function of coping with the permanent sense of loss? both materially and temporally, in a reciprocal manner, handled somewhat by the identification that time is money. To understand the past, we must be in the box in which we place other things. We must place ourselves behind the glass of museums, under the tombstones, and in the storage units. If we place ancient bodies in a museum, do we not too belong in a museum? Consider your own tag, your description. Would you argue with the interpretation? Would you fight the description? Imagine all the dead souls screaming at academics and curators that they've got it all wrong. What would the corpses say?
of cultural heritage is something few would disagree on. Every time we see evidence of this, we're quick to stand up and vocalize our disdain. As a society, it is considered cultured to have an admiration and appreciation of history and the arts. We'll even travel to other countries to marvel at others' cultural heritage. Indeed, it would seem that there is a universal respect for the past. However, if this is the point of my episode, then I would have to stop here. Where's the issue? Where's the problem with this? You see, this kind of behavior, the respect of this, seems to be much more important than actually protecting heritage. And if that kind of behavior, this kind of, oh, we have respect for the past, translated into what we actually did with the past, if it actually translated into how we behave towards the past, I would wholeheartedly encourage this. But I want to explore things at the limits of the rules, and I really want to understand better what our true intentions are and what our underlying principles are, some of which we are oft unwilling to admit. Because the thing is, we are the destruction of the past. All archaeology is destructive by its very nature. We are all the death of all that has come before. We are the death dealers to the deathless. I am talking about a past we find important, and a past we find easy to throw away. I'm talking about the elevation of certain pasts by attention heaped upon them, for example the Romans, the Vikings, the ancient Egyptians, over those that are not paid attention to. It seems that the cultures I've just mentioned, everyone has some idea of what these are, and some most people have a good idea of when they happened what culture they had, and what kind of signifies and symbolizes that culture. And this is because the Romans, the Vikings, and the ancient Egyptians are parts of our heritage and history that are really have a lot of attention paid to them. Consider all the shows that are talked about by the Vikings or the Romans. Think about how the ancient Egyptian pyramid has become a symbol for the past, or heritage in general. Think about our heritage in terms of us as a Judeo-Christian country, that ultimately our history comes from the Bible, so to speak, and therefore the culture in the Middle East, and especially the prehistory, is is of great importance to us, primarily because it roots us in the idea of ancientness. 
compare this in which we look at things like the Edo culture of Central Africa or the Polynesian tribes. How are they actually talked about in the media? What do we actually know about Africa before colonization? And please, please remember that right now, the Benin Bronzes of Nigeria are in the National Museum of Scotland and the Museum of Berlin and in the British Museum. These items were taken during a period of occupation by the British Empire. They were part of a looting campaign after many of the cities and towns in the Benin Empire were razed to the ground. But funny enough, that kind of knowledge, that is a cultural knowledge, is not really in the mainstream. And I wonder why. I wonder why that conquest, the one of the Benin Empire, is not a culturally known story. I think I know the answer. It's primarily to do with the fact that we had no right going in there. Or, better said, we have less right going into there rather than other places. And with all these examples, what I really want to illustrate is that if we really, really care about the past, we can't simply claim to like heritage we instead must take responsibility for the past and choose to save that past and the past that we have relegated to the annals of history. In fact, all history has been created thusly out of kept histories and left histories. Objects, identities, people. The past has been created by others maintaining these things consciously and unconsciously the attention and the respect and value given to some histories over others has meant that they have been kept up and other histories have been left to the wayside. And in the current state of the world, perhaps it makes more sense to confront difficult choices head on rather than hiding behind the veil of just the way it is. But in doing all of this, This is where the difficult part comes in, because what we have to do is, within this, uh, consider our own legacy. The legacy of colonialism, imperialism, and the erasure of non-white people. And what I really want to say with this is that it was kind of, I can understand people doing it in the past... You know, it was all part of a campaign to, you know, legitimize colonial and imperial outreach. But I don't understand how people can now legitimize these kind of colonial outreaches, these kind of um, predominantly anti-black uh, narratives. It just doesn't make sense to me. And there is this kind of strange, strange th- knowledge from all of this. If we are to admit that, for example, history is written by the victor, then we're already admitting that history is this created thing and doesn't actually have some sort of viable truth to it. And I kind of want to run with that a little bit, uh, because there's obviously a much more nuanced opinion to things, you know, you can actually have data in the past, you can have, um, you know, whatever measurements you make, but that measurement 
ultimately provides you with an answer. And sometimes the questions that you give the past and the answers you seek kind of fit the question that you're asking. Rather than giving you a fully, wholeheartedly balanced view of what happened, sometimes we have to work with the fact that the past that we have is not that one that we can rely on as a crutch, as a, well, that's it, that's the truth, nobody can argue with it. The thing is that the past that we have, unfortunately, the victors have always written other people out of history. And I feel that archaeology should be the other side of this. Archaeology should basically fill in the gaps of history. We shouldn't be talking about kings and queens and empires or aristocracy. We should be talking about all the other people who've been left out of history. But when we talk about things that we nowadays leave out and put back in or put value on, we're still destroying things when we excavate, so to speak. But in our destruction, we try and justify this. We try and say, well, we're actually, you know, we're keeping things alive. We're preserving things for the archaeological record. But I always feel that archaeologists never go far enough in actually getting to the bottom of what they want to protect. We justify preserving certain heritages because we should, but what if, what if we take it down a notch? If we destroy heritage, what really separates us from those the so-called Daesh when they blow up ancient monuments in Syria? Isn't destruction all the same? Isn't destruction all the same? Is destruction the only thing we have to contribute? <laughs> Sorry, let me get back to my point. If we're to follow on from the idea that certain heritage are kept and seen as valuable, and others are seen as not valuable, does that mean that the heritage we remove, excavate, or otherwise alter is destroyed? And perhaps now our language is actually the stopping point here. The We don't have the real language to talk about preservation and change of materials in an effective way. The question is, are there different types of destruction, and are some worse than others. We know fine well that when Daesh destroy monuments, there's distinct focus on the magnitude and the viciousness of that destruction. Many of the videos on social media of that destruction were edited, there were time to music. The destruction was a spectacle, it's a show. The destruction of history had a point, it had a meaning. and. You could argue it was meant to anger and annoy. It's meant to get at us. And it did. We all responded with anger and fury, sadness and indignation. This behaviour was uncultured. It was unwarranted. Mayor of London and professional bumbling fool Boris Johnson even proudly displayed a recreated Palmyra arch in London as a sign that no matter how many artifacts Daesh destroyed, we would simply rebuild them. However, we also know that Daesh supplies itself with money through the sale of illicit artifacts. Now, it would seem that perhaps the ideological destruction of artifacts is not as pure as we originally thought. 
we put ourselves at a disadvantage as we if we see the destruction of cultural heritage as some sort of form of pure evil, as some sort of reactionary expression of anger, of uncultured violence. No, this destruction is actually a measured response, a measured action done specifically for a purpose, to taunt and to anger. But also, I think in some ways to demonstrate internally the power that this group has over history. But, 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 Tristan, you're asking me, Tristan, what's the goddamn point here? Let me tell you, if we're going to go about digging up and excavating the past, we need to make the conscious decision to do so. And what has bothered me for such a while is that, ultimately, archaeology seems to be propped up by flimsy assumptions, ambiguous morals, and a desperate need for meaning to be explained. It seems that archaeologists are constantly having to assert themselves, constantly have to make reasons for why the past is really important. And I'm more and more sceptical as to whether those reasons are actually good. If we're to argue that the past is knowable and definitely doesn't have aliens, then how do we deal with a history that also seems to promote white supremacy and glorify colonialism? See, the thing is that a lot of people would argue that ultimately we can only look at facts and figures would also have to, some way, without ideologically investigating anything, say that the way the world is, is how it's meant to be, and that's really not true. Our history is one of different political ideologies, of different social media movements, different social movements, and resistance to change. But we can't simply say, one way or another, with just data, whether this is of benefit to humanity or not. Not to say that the knowledge is not important, but if we do not put it to use, if we don't put it into frameworks, we can't apply any of that knowledge to anything. And perhaps this is where, I don't know if somebody's probably already quoted it, but where we want to simulate history, but not necessarily emulate history. Maybe this is where I separate myself from traditionalist views and uh, from traditionalists who kind of feel that we have to go back to the way it was and that the past was somehow better. I think we are always going to have to start developing new ways of dealing with the systems we've already put in place. It's foolish to think that what we did, we did without knowing what would happen. Look at the way in which economic systems are put in place, in which ways that the government in the UK currently treats its health service. These decisions are made with a plausible deniability that we can't know the future. And I think this is what boils down to archaeology in the past being a way of explaining that possible future. And I wonder if it's just enough for us to merely say, this is the past, isn't it interesting? Why can't we take that extra step and say, well, we're actually wanting to use the past to try and understand how future is created. We will take a hundred examples of the past in terms of wars and military and examples of fights and conflicts as some sort of way of 
ramming it home that conflict is this natural idea of humanity. And I wonder in which way do we understand presentations of history as these wholly ideological pieces. You know, this is where, when I say the past is political, I'm not talking about the actual measurements or the actual artifacts in the ground, but I mean the ways in which we even organize them or categorize them and place them and place them within a theory. That is what politicizes them. And we can either try and get around that with some sort of weird you know, ideological acrobatics, or we can basically be honest about how we're creating this past. It's no, it's no mean feat to try and get a handle on what has happened and what humanity actually means, but we're seeing more and more people trying to use the past to ground themselves as one thing or another. We're seeing more and more that people who believe in blood and soil looking more and more for that soil to give them their lineage. Looking more and more for that soil to give them that bloodline. And I think we need to be very careful as archaeologists and as people who are interested in the past that we really do deal with things like DNA, heritage, ancestry, the way in which humans have currently evolved, that we make sure that we're open and we're open and honest about how we've come to those conclusions. The reason why people talk about the migration that's happened for thousands of years is not because they're being paid by some globalist uh, overarching hierarchy that, you know, pays out uh, money because I wish I had that money. But instead, that's what the evidence shows us. And that's what we write about. That's what we talk about. And I think it's very, very easy to kind of say, well, this is what the data says. In the face of people going, well, I think that data is fake news. There are other ways than just clinging to a number of little values and a number of little facts. Um, Numerous ways to reach out. There's more ways to reach out than just saying, well, this is the 100% the truth and that's the way it is. And I want to explore in all of these podcasts better ways of interacting with people. I think and I believe that we have to be aware of the ideologies of everyone when we interact with them and they talk about the past. We need to be aware of our own ideologies in that as well. And I think for me... This is why decay is such a such a hot topic for me. It's because I kind of see the ways in which systems culminate into endpoints. And for me, it's about changing the starting point, following that through the system, and understanding what happens in the end. And history does not repeat itself exactly. But in some ways, we can try and use the past to create hypotheses 
for what possibly can happen in the future. I think ultimately, if you're relying on a series of numbers to tell you who you are and who your ancestors are, if you're relying on a test to know your own bloodline, if you're looking at the history, if you're looking at the destruction of cultural history and all you feel is disgust at this one act, then it's time perhaps to look inward and ask yourself, what has led me up to this point? What has made me think this? And what can I do to better engage that history? You know, I, I'm trying to learn my mother tongue a bit better. I'm trying to speak more German. I do at work. But that's a way for me to culturally engage with my own history without the need or necessity to get a DNA test to prove who I am. Because when we do look at history and we look at the fragmentation of that archaeological record and we say that, well, that's kind of interesting, we are going to leave histories behind. And while I understand that in this current system we have a necessity to split resources, I think we just need to be more honest about it. I think... At the most extreme of my ideology, we need to say we are actively destroying this heritage. Or we are actively destroying that heritage. Because ultimately, we are. We are destroying heritages that exist outside the scope of our interest. You know? And this comes down to a fundamental level. When you're trying to explain to somebody why they need, why you need funding to do research. Well, I need funding to research because this is interesting. And if that funder then says, yeah, that sounds interesting, then go for it. But you see, the thing is, the acquisition of those resources always depends on a person's decision. And that decision may not always reflect what the most, the best information to get, the, the best information to get, the most, the information we don't already know. And I think we need to be much more open about the choices that are being made. And it's not archaeologists' fault. Well, kind of. It's the fault of all of us giving in to a narrative of interesting history. A narrative that history has to be this wildly enchanting thing of dramatic entrances for it to make any impact on the public. That's not true. We have to raise the flag for boring history, the archaeology of brushing teeth, the archaeology of the everyday, and not just in some sort of window dressing, not in some sort of Ikea-esque perfect house. When I went to Pompeii, I was absolutely blown over by the size and the structure of it. But the most impressing thing upon me that whole day were the bodies. In those final moments, those people's lives were culminated into one last thing, one last expression. And that's what's lasted this whole time. And when we 
are choosing histories and creating a legacy for ourselves, we are inadvertently, in researching history, creating another legacy, an expression. And once that expression solidifies, that is how we will be remembered. Whether that's on the societal level, the institutional level, or the personal level. And it's our chance and our desire to actually create some sort of much more embracing history. A history that is not just the same again and again and again. They say when you want to remember something, your brain makes better pathways along the neurons. Uh, Forgive me if I've got that completely wrong, but stay with me for now. So as you remember things, those pathways through the neurons, they get stronger. The things that you don't think about a lot, they get weaker and weaker until you can't remember them anymore. Let's not treat history like some sort of brain. Let's make an effort, a concerted effort, to talk about all histories and all heritages. And this is what I talked about when I talked about hidden heritage. I went to the Hidden Heritage Conference back in 2015 in Dorset. And I presented a very strange paper uh, saying that ultimately... Pseudo-archaeology is, in many ways, hiding history in drawing our attention away from history that we could talk about. It creates this third history, this history in the mind's eye, a weird history which is brought together by these unrelated decontextual facts. And in many ways, the hidden history The heritage that we don't really care about is that which is being forbidden by the very fact that we're not putting any emphasis into it. And largely, that's really what this episode is about, is about saying that we have histories out there that nobody cares about, and those are the hidden ones. Those are the secret archaeologies. It's not aliens that are being, like, hidden away. No, it's our own heritage. Because it's not interesting enough for you. It's not interesting enough for a TV show. It's not interesting enough for a film. It's not got the right bits and pieces that somebody can say, hey, that actually sounds pretty good. And how do we solve that? I don't know. I'm just here to complain. You think I actually have some sort of answer for you? Come on, what what do you think I am? I'm here to ruin things. I'm here to destroy and criticize without actually having any skin in the game. So, you take from that what you will. But just as a last thought, perhaps, perhaps we as archaeologists can cross the divide and become creators. Perhaps we in archaeology can think about how our research impacts the public in general. And perhaps we can as individuals, either archaeologists, people interested in history or otherwise, think more about the shows that we watch and how they are created. We think more about the films that we see and the documentaries 
and we think about the wider implications of why why is this show made? Why am I seeing so much about the Romans, the Vikings, the ancient Egyptians? Who do I not know about? And why do I not know about them? Because you get this weird kind of strange feeling that in history there is this sense of deep time. This very deep time full of rich written contextual texts and with lots of wonderful grave goods. But if you were to ask somebody about the archaeology of Africa, what would they have to say about it? And what does that indeed say about us? Thank you for listening to an episode of The Anarchaeologist, part of The Archaeologist Manifesto, produced and presented here on the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you're interested in talking to me or, you know, just getting an argument or something like that, check me out at anarchaeologist.com. Otherwise, email me, tristan at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. You could be a member and get the bonus materials for all of my shows, which includes probably music, other select things from when I do like interviews with people, and lots of extra stuff. So go and check that out. Archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash members. Otherwise, stay tuned next month for next month's episode. Um, yeah, I'm still deciding what that will definitely, definitely be. So, honestly, thank you very again. And remember, start some riots somewhere. This show is produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Tristan, buddy. It's Jason, your producer here. Love it, man. Great show. Wonderful. Just a little thing, uh, maybe try to chill on the whole destruction thing. You know, everyone in archaeology is destructive. You might be making some enemies, you know, your peers, people supporting you. But hey, it's your show, and I just think we could maybe be really positive about how archaeologists are kind of rescuing certain paths through salvage archaeology. That drawing these forms of comparison really doesn't help your cause in any way and actually alienates the people you're trying to get to. And maybe we should mention the meticulous nature of investigation where even the smallest soil samples can tell us so much about a site and people living there. So hey, good ideas maybe for next time? In any case, send me the script from the next show. Jason out.